Okay, so, Joel, the day for a year principle. If I was to ask you for a verse on the day for a year principle, would you be able to give me a verse on the day for a year principle? Hmm, maybe Numbers chapter 14, verse 34. Uh-huh. That'd be because a good that's, a, that's, a, that's a very common one. Yeah. Anything else? Um, Ezekiel 4 verse 6 is also one that they use. Yep. Have you used these verses in giving Bible studies? Not really. Oh, there you go. There you go. Okay. All right. So let's look at these two verses. And then what we're going to do is we're going to consider the day for a year principle and its use in apocalyptic prophecy. So for those of you who are wondering what on earth is Lyle and Joel talking about, Apocalyptic prophecy or end-time prophecy is written in symbols. Therefore, it is impossible to understand end-time prophecy without understanding the symbols. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but if you remove the day-for-a-year principle, you open the door to futurism and or preterism. As a result, there are many today. And, of course, as soon as you open the door to preterism or futurism, you take Christ out of the prophecy. And this is a foundational element of understanding prophecy. Every single prophecy must have Christ at its center. So, in other, in, other words, in other words, the prophecy is going to, either going to tell you something about Christ or his character mm-hmm. or the plan of salvation or the great controversy and the war with evil. Every prophecy is going to reveal something along those lines. It's not going to be a creative and interesting sequence of events that's very exciting to read. That's not the purpose of prophecy. The Bible says that the revelation is the revealing of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And here's the problem. You take the day for your principle out and you actually remove Christ from the prophecy. Wow. So yeah. we need to know this. We do. We do. It's... um. <clears throat> if you look at uh, you know uh, preteristic or futuristic uh, interpretations of prophecy, you're going to find yeah fascinating fascinating sequences of events that actually attack the character of God, and people get so excited about well this is going to happen after this and then that's going to happen and then this is going to happen and then such and such will happen, and they get so caught up in all those details they don't realize what the interpretation is actually saying about God's character. Yeah. And we'll look at some examples of that. We probably won't have time. So much to deal with on this particular subject. Uh, let's 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 do Ezekiel. Let's start with Ezekiel four verse six. Uh, Joel, if you could read that one for us, please. One of the most uh, common ones that you will often hear used, either in a Bible study or a sermon, uh, where the day for a year principle is outlined. And this is Ezekiel using the day for a year principle. All right. So he says in Ezekiel four verse six. And when you have completed them, lie again on your right side. Then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 days. I have laid on you a day for each year. Okay. Notice here that Ezekiel is putting forward a prophecy. Mm -hmm. It's a prophecy for the exiled Jews in Babylon. And this is an acted out prophecy. And so to act out this prophecy, and Ezekiel did quite a few acted out prophecies, he would go to the marketplace and lie down in the marketplace on his right side. In front of everybody. In front of everybody. 
This would this was God's use of social media. Okay. So you get people talking and people discussing, like, what on earth is Ezekiel doing every day in the marketplace? Okay, so they all get talking. Is uh-huh. this is this is ancient Twitter right here? You know, chat, 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 chat. Everybody's talking about it uh, because so it's an acted out prophecy, and because the prophecy is going to be forty years long, Ezekiel is not going to live that long. Hmm. And it'd be kind of hard on a person to say, hey, I want to go and do this for the next 40 years. And kind of irrelevant because it's not really giving the message that God wants to give because mm. he wants them to have the message now, not in 40 years' time. Of course. And so what does God do? God uses the day-for-a-year principle. He has Ezekiel act out the prophecy for 40 days to symbolize 40 years. Mm. And so as Ezekiel explains this to the population at that time, it makes perfect sense to them because the day-for-year principle is part of Hebrew culture. Okay. And you can see it going back, you know, all the way back to the book of Genesis. You can find the the day-for-year principle starts off uh, very, very early on in the Bible. Okay, so Joel... Um, where else in the Bible? You mentioned a couple of verses here, Numbers 14, 34 and Ezekiel 4, 6. We just read Ezekiel 4, 6. But I was just, um, yeah, where else in the Bible might you find day for your principle popping up? Okay, there's a few. Um, so one of the things that I've loved about this quarter's lesson is just um, showing us ways how to interpret scripture, right? And one of the emphasis has been looking at the original language. And to be honest, this is not something that I've really been doing in my devotions, but I'm like, I'm missing out. If I don't know what the original word was, there's so much meaning that I'm missing. So this is definitely something that is important in our understanding of scripture and how we interpret it. So um, when we look at Exodus chapter 13, verse 10, for example, um, it's talking about the Passover. And... The Passover was something that was, as we know, celebrated from year to year. But in the original Hebrew, um, it actually says from days to days. Right. So we translate it as year to year because we know it's actually an annual event. Absolutely. But the words used here are days. Or days. From days days to days rather than from years to years. Yeah. So day symbolizing a year. Absolutely. And there's another one in um, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 19, and I'll read this one. Um, so 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And here it's talking about Hannah coming to her son Samuel, um, who was in the temple. And again, in the original language, it would actually say from days to days. But if we just think about this, Hannah is not going to make a robe for Samuel every single day. No. And take it to the temple no. for him to wear. So again, <laughs> she would be a very busy mother if she was. <laughs> extremely busy. Um, so again, this is just another example of it's a year-to-year thing um, that she was doing, not every single day. Okay. Is any more that you've got there? Yeah. There was interesting... Um, so in some of the prophetic books of the Old Testament, they also use the words days and years interchangeably. So, for example, in Ezekiel 30 verse 3, they say day of the Lord, but Isaiah says the year of the Lord. Right. Mm. Okay, so synonymously, days and years are 
synonymous words in the Bible. They're used interchangeably and they mean, yeah, exactly the same thing. And so you're going to find that principle running throughout Scripture. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. So we've got some interesting, I really like those examples that you brought out there, Joel, where you've got these various, I guess, examples Mm -hmm. of where the day for a year principle is found in Scripture. Um, one of the ones that I find interesting is the um, the principle of the Jubilee year and mm-hmm. the year of rest. So if you look at the agricultural cycle that was given in the constitution of ancient Israel, um, they would work the land for six years and on the seventh year they would let the land rest and just eat the food that came as a result of just sort of it sowing for itself. And in that aspect, once you find a reflection of the seven-day week, six Mm. days of labor, one day of rest. Rest. Six years of working the land, one year of rest, a day symbolizing a year. So the whole Jewish system was actually built around the principle of a day for a year. Yeah. And so when Ezekiel does this prophecy that he acts out, In Ezekiel 4 and verse 6, which is so often quoted in support of the day for a year principle, then what you have is something that, you know, people come to the marketplace, they see what he's doing, he does it for 40 days, and they go, oh yeah, okay, we understand that. Whereas today, in our day, in our day and age, in our culture, we have a very different way of communicating. Very different. We, we don't communicate that way at all. Was there anything else there that you wanted to highlight before we move on real quick? Yeah, let me mention another one. So this one is found in Genesis um, chapter 5, verse 5, and I'll just read it out. It says, so all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Um, and again, it st- states days, but obviously Adam did not live just a few days. He lived for years. Yeah, 950 so, days is pretty short lifespan. Yeah. <laughs> So definitely another example of days um, used as a year principle. Absolutely. Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to look at the context. We're going to look at the day for a year principle in context, in the context of apocalyptic end time prophecy. Cool. Because this is where we particularly find the day for a year principle used. And what we need to ask ourselves is this very simple question. When we're dealing with apocalyptic end-time prophecy, what justification do we have to consistently use the day-for-a-year principle? Why is it that we reject using the day-for-a-day principle? After all, as Joel, you've pointed out, there's a whole bunch of passages in Scripture, and we could, we could spend the rest of our Bible study really going through all of those different verses um, in the Bible that outline the day for your principle. It's, the, the, it's, it's a principle that the Bible is actually saturated in. Uh, however, have we actually got it right when it comes to understanding prophecy? So we're going to go to Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14. We're going to look at a specific example right here. And we're going to look at some of the reasons behind why we would apply the day for a year principle to Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14. If we get time, we'll also look at Daniel chapter 7. And if we get extra time, we might go to Revelation chapter 2 or Revelation chapter 9. Um, There's some exciting ones there as well. Anyway. Where are we? Daniel chapter 8, and let's go to verse 14. If you could read that one for us, please. Joel. 
And it says, and he said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Okay, now this is an interesting prophecy right here. Let's give ourselves a little bit of context for this prophecy. Let's go back earlier in the... That's actually the last verse of the prophecy. Yes. Um, So let's go back earlier in the prophecy and let's see what is happening um, in verse 5. Let's use verse 5 in this example. All right, and it says, And I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Okay, have you ever seen a goat with one horn that is between its eyes? I have not. No, that kind of goat does not exist. It gets even better when you go to verse 8. You can read for us verse 8, please. Therefore the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in place of it, four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. Okay, so you got some really cool animals in Africa. <laughs> Not this cool. <laughs> You've disappointed me. I was about to say, what kind of animal is this? I've never seen one. <laughs> Neither have I. Okay, well, that's actually kind of good. Um, because, yeah, they don't exist. Okay, so here you've got a goat. The Bible describes a goat with, with one horn that is between its eyes. You can understand a goat with one horn, maybe it broke off, but this is one horn between its eyes. This is a, a unicorn goat. And then that one gets broken off, and four horns grow up to replace the one that gets broken off. Okay, this is not something we see happening in nature, is not it? Not at all. And the Bible says that they grow toward the four winds of heaven. In other words, north, south, east, and west. So what does the goat never turn its head? (laughs) Clearly we're dealing with a symbol here, aren't we? Definitely. And the Bible, Gabriel comes along and Gabriel confirms, yes, this is a symbol. And he tells us exactly what the symbol means. Uh, Would you like to read for us verse 21 and 22? All right, so verse 21 and 22, it says, And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. Okay, a very accurate prophecy about Alexander the Great and the four generals who divided up the empire after he died, Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucius. So clearly we are dealing with a symbol. All right. And all the way down through the prophecy, we're dealing with symbols. We have the symbol of a ram. We have the symbol of the two horns and the ram. We have the symbol of the goat. We have the symbol of the great horn. We have the symbol of the four horns. We have the symbol of the little horn. These are symbols, 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 symbols. If we are going to accept that these are all symbolic, then what right... Do we have to turn around and say, oh, yes, but when you get to the end end, and it talks about the time period, that's not symbolic. That has to be literal. It doesn't make sense. That makes no sense at all, does it? That's that's not even remotely consistent. There's no consistency there whatsoever at all. So there's the first point that we're going to look at. Mm -hmm. We're going to consider consistency. Here's the next point that we're going to look at. So that's consistency within symbolism. The next point that we're going to look at is consistency with time prophecy. So if we go to Daniel chapter 9, which is the completion of the explanation that you have that begins in chapter 8. So it begins in chapter 8. Uh, Gabriel goes away for a while. He comes back and finishes it in chapter 9. Um, if you go to chapter 9, you find a prophecy of 70 weeks. Mm-hmm. 
universally, basically universally, amongst Christians, when they interpret Daniel chapter 9, they say, day for year principle exists here. And the reason that they say that is because it's the greatest messianic prophecy of all time. And it points to Jesus Christ with unerring accuracy. And it is undeniable that the mathematics here with the day for year principle applied are accurate. All right. So that one is always used as a day for year principle. In the end of that prophecy, there is a period of one week. How many weeks in a day? Sorry. Let me try that again. How many days in a week? How many days in a week? Seven. Okay, so how many years would that symbolize? Using day for year principle? Seven. Seven years. So you've got seven year period there. Mm-hmm. And of course, you will find many Christians who will say there's a seven year tribulation at the end of time. And that's the only passage in the Bible where you'll find that. The only way that they come up with the seven-year tribulation is by using the day for year principle. Hmm. Okay, so then you've got this. You've got the book of Daniel. In chapter 7, you have apocalyptic prophecy with 1,260 days. Right. In Daniel 8, you have apocalyptic prophecy with 2,300 days. In... Uh, Daniel 9, you have apocalyptic prophecy with 490 days. In Daniel 12, you have apocalyptic prophecy with 1,290 days and then 1,335 days. If you are going to apply for the, the day for a year principle to Daniel chapter 9, what right do you have to not apply it to the other prophecies? And what logic is that? There is no reason for it whatsoever or consistency. If you're going to use it in one place, you must use it in all. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Day for your principle. Where were we? We were talking about consistency, context. Absolutely. And how it is entirely inconsistent to take day for your principle and apply it to only one apocalyptic prophecy. And the reason that we're applying it to apocalyptic prophecy is that clearly in historical prophecy, you know, when uh, Ezekiel says, you know, 40 days for 40 years, he's actually explaining in clear, plain language, it's going to be 40 years Mm -hmm. before this particular event takes place. Okay, so here we are in apocalyptic prophecy and we have day-free principle. We've noted a whole bunch of apocalyptic prophecies with time prophecies in them in the book of Daniel. We've got the 1260, the 2300, the 490, the 1335, and the 1290. Um, you go to the book of Revelation and you're going to find uh, 10 years in one place. Uh, you're going to find a period of 150 years in another place. Um, you're going to find the 1260 pun- popping up in a bunch of different places. And so there are a number of different time prophecies in the book of Revelation. If we're going to be consistent, we need to be consistent. Absolutely. Okay, so the first thing is the context is symbolic prophecy. If it is symbolic prophecy, why would you apply literal time in a symbolic prophecy? The second thing is uh, consistency. Why would you apply day for your principle in one place and not another? It's either all one or all the other. Mm -hmm. The third thing that we're going to look at 
is the way in which God highlights the fact that he is using something symbolic. And he's going to do that in two ways. One of them is going to be in context and one of them is going to be in language. So right here in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14, let's go down and let's look at uh, the context that God actually surrounds this prophecy with. Um, Can you read for us verse 17, please? So it says, let me just find it. It's Daniel 8 verse 17. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Okay, let's think about this for a moment. When does the Bible say that this vision is all about? For the end time. The end time. And yet, when you read the explanation of the prophecy, the explanation of the prophecy explains ancient Persia, ancient Greece... And ancient Rome. Hmm. That's not exactly the end of time. That's ancient history, right? Yes. So there's only one possible way of getting to the end of time, and that is your time prophecy, which is 2,300 days. If you take that as literal time, it's not going to get you to the end of time. Not at all. But if you take day for your principle, that's going to carry you all the way through to 1844. That's modern history. Hmm. Okay, so taking the day for a year principle means that the prophecy actually makes sense. It's not going to make any sense if you use day for a day. All right, uh, verse, uh, just to confirm this, because God says it twice, just to make sure that we don't miss it, verse 19. Verse 19 says, And he said, Look, I am making known to you what shall what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation, for at the appointed time the end shall be. All right. So here we've got, once again, what time period is this prophecy pointing towards? The end of time. The end of time. You can't get this prophecy reached down to reach down until the time of the end by using a day-for-day principle. That's an impossibility. Mm-hmm. The only way that this prophecy can make any sense whatsoever at all is if you use the day for year principle. Okay, so that's the, that's the context that is immediately surrounding this time period. All right, let's look at one more thing here in relationship to this. Let's, you, let's look at the language that is used. So if we go to verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 14, if you could read that one for us, please. And he said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Okay, if you read that in many modern translations, it won't say 2,300 days. It will say 2,300 evenings and mornings. Hmm. So why does God use that kind of language? Why doesn't he just use days? I mean, because you could use days and, you know, it's like we all understand that. The reason is that God is not wanting to be misunderstood. He's speaking in symbolic language, and he's like, if I use days, everyone's just going to go, huh, days. But if I write it a little bit differently, I'm going to catch their attention. They're going, ah, wait a minute, what's going on here? Something's different. Something's different here. Oh, yes, the rest of this prophecy is symbolic, so this should be symbolic as well. All right, so I'll give you another example of this. This is, in in some ways, uh, an even better example. Go to Daniel 7. And verse 25. 
All right, Daniel seven verse twenty-five says, "He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, and times and a half a time." Okay. Here, the Bible says the saints will be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. How long is that? Time, times and half a time. It's kind of vague, isn't it? And once again, what God is doing is he's using language that is kind of out of the ordinary to try and catch our attention. Absolutely. Now, it was language that was well understood to the Hebrew people at this particular time, the Jewish people, and they understood a time as being a year, two times as being a times as being two years and half a time as being half a year. They understood that. They got that. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, what God does with this prophecy is he repeats it seven times in the Bible. Wow. And each time he words it slightly differently. Mm-hmm. And the reason that he does that is, okay, this is the first time he gives it. He's like, okay, just in case you're confused, okay, I catch your attention by writing it down slightly differently, but just in case you're confused and you miss the point, in another place he writes it down as 1,260 days. That's three and a half years, mm-hmm. biblical years. In another place, he writes it down as 42 months. Now, of course, when he writes it down as 1,260 days, there is the danger of us going, oh, days, yeah, okay, we get that. That's days. But he's clarified it by writing it down as times, times, and half a time. Mm. He's shown that this is something that should be taken symbolically. Right. And by giving it as 1,260 days or 42 months, he has also shown what kind of a year we should be using, what kind of a calendar we should be using in calculating this particular uh, length of time, and that is the 360-day biblical year. 